0: Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things Podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtain some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to beer mighty things. Cheers. Welcome in to the Beer Mighty Things Podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. Today, we welcome back our friend and CEO at Spotlight Safety Incorporated, Corey Martin. Corey, what's going on, man?
1: Oh, not too much. Happy New Year. It's been Happy a while. <laughs> it's going quick <laughs> already things, yeah. February. I know, right? I know, already at the end of January. It's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. So,
0: well, let, let's get into that, right? What happens in February here when we're talking OSHA?
1: Yeah, great great segue. I think a lot of uh, breweries in the, the manufacturing categories, so it's going to be most of them, I would say. Uh, know, there's an annual requirement to post an OSHA 300A form, which is basically a consolidated look at all of your information from the OSHA 300 log, Uh, and that's required to be posted if you have any uh, incidents or accidents, even if you have zero, still needs to be filled out and posted uh, from February 1st through April 30th in a public easily accessible spot for your employees to review that information. Uh, and it's required for any employer in a manufacturing setting over 10 employees. So small breweries uh, with, you know, mostly just founders uh, may not apply, but you know, it's always nice to kind of get in the habit of doing it. Cause anytime you, you know, trigger yeah. that, you know, in future years, you're going to have to have that information uh, ready to go. But certainly for, for, you know, breweries over, 10 employees, you're going to have to have that posted. Uh, and then for any employee or employers over 20 employees, uh, you actually have proactive reporting requirements through the OSHA electronic system. Uh, so that's newer, uh, you know, for a requirement, uh, it hasn't been too many years, uh, since they implemented the electronic submission requirement. Uh, but if you have more than 20 employees and you're in one of those hazard category, uh, type industries, which manufacturing qualifies, uh, that's something that you're gonna have to proactively input some information. Uh, and that typically triggers uh, on March 1st. So you have a little bit of time uh, between needing to post the 300A log publicly uh, in your in your workspace and actually going into the system and reporting uh, proactively on the electronic one.
0: Interesting, so you made me think of two things there. It's like, all right, so February 1st, this needs to go up, et cetera, to April 30th, but, and then what, you can take it down?
1: Yes, you can take it down after April thirtieth. Why? <laughs> because <laughs> you've you've done your due diligence and you've reported to your employees, you know, if there are any incidents or near it's mostly for uh, you know, injuries that incurred either lost time or job restrictions or those types of things are the ones that are that are primarily captured by that form. But it's it's gotcha. a way to communicate to your employees, you know, if there are any uh, major incidents or in injuries in the workplace gotcha the well year. and
0: they, because you know, studies show that there are no injuries you know may 1st until all the way through january 31st i mean there's never been one
1: <laughs> right 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 yeah no no, no. <laughs> it's, it's it's for the previous annual year right. so yeah yeah so it's gotcha. it's capturing kind of a summary um but yeah so the the osha 300 log is actually a real-time uh, accounting of all of those uh, yeah. potential incidents and injuries and then the the 300 a form which is available on osha.gov uh, you know, so you can just kind of run in search for osha 300a if you need a need a record of it and then uh, fill that out it's usually uh you know in done in conjunction with hr or accounting because you need some information about work hours and all that but um yeah it's fairly simple and easy to 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 put together it's not okay. too awfully complicated
0: sweet well i wanted to yeah we just kind of jumped into there so for the listeners who you know Aren't maybe familiar with Corey? Check out episode 67 and 71, where we did part one and part two of you know OSHA awareness. This is a multiple uh, series, you know, multiple episode series. So today, tips on a safe working environment is kind of the main focus. We're talking documentation. Um, so you know when we're talking about jotting the stuff down, writing it, keeping it in a safe place, we have a lot of things that we need to document. Um, so let's, let's get into some of those other things, right, uh, respirators or, or forklift training, or, or what do you have kind of next on top of mind?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I think it's kind of broken into a couple different categories. Um, you know, you have the kind of policy and manual documents that kind of form the core of your safety program. Uh, then you have SOPs for specific job tasks and, you know, how to do certain processes and, and do them safely, you know, what types of PPE to wear during different processes, um, what safety steps to take. Um, if you have to do, you know, formal daily checks on on certain processes or pieces of equipment, um, those would all be captured there. Uh, and then to your point, training documentation, very important, um, you know, incident reports. Uh, we can kind of go through kind of each each category, but, um, you know, generally what I see is that, you know, breweries are, are really uh, good about formalizing the SOPs and the, and the process specific items. Uh, and then it's, it's more of the kind of program documentation behind the scenes that gets a little lost or, or, you know, doesn't have the annual updates or, or those types of things that, that, you know, a regulator is going to start looking at, um, you know, and asking for if, if they pop by pop in. So, um, you know, I, I always tell folks, you know, the, the quicker you can produce that documentation, uh, the quicker they're going to be in and out. So um, they don't start digging until they have questions about, you know, whether or not you have everything wrapped up. So if you can bring them a binder with all your manuals and all your, your safety documentation and just kind of put it in front of them, they tend to be pretty impressed and, you know, they'll give you the attaboy and, and be on their way.
0: Nice. And, you know, they're, on your team in a way i mean they
1: don't want to show up and find you i mean i've yet to meet a regulator who likes doing the paperwork on the back end so uh yeah the 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 quicker (laughs) and easier you can make it (laughs) the better so
0: less work they have to do right
1: yeah i mean yeah they'll certainly take it seriously and they'll they'll probe if they they you know see any red flags but you know they they just want to you know go do 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 their due diligence and, and make sure everything's you know looking tidy so um yeah the easier you can make it the better
0: very cool. All right. Um, And all this, you know, again, these are things that we're going to do maybe on a monthly or bi-monthly type of, you know, safety training. Yeah. yeah. Like a safety meeting. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of groups will have their core manuals. So when I refer to a safety manual for the brewing space, I'm, you know, considering a hazard communication plan. That's going to basically be a summary of all of the the hazards in in the space. Um, You know, you document those, you, you know, put in the the controls that you have in the environment to account for those. Uh, And then on top of that, you have an emergency action plan, which basically highlights, you know, evacuation response, medical emergencies, you know, if you have specific um, policies related to, you know, worker health and safety in that, or, um, you know, rescue from, confined spaces, you know, you can capture some of those in the emergency action plan as well, Um, but then you're also going to have those Um, you know, OSHA specific policies as well. So you'll have the lockout tagout program. You'll have the hearing conservation program. You have the respirator program. If you have that, Um, you know, you're going to go into confined spaces. If you have permit required confined spaces, you know, you have the, the forklift uh, type uh, reviews as well. Uh, And then a lot of those will also come with their own, their own training documentation. So, You know, I've, I've met a lot of breweries that have, you know, all of their brewing staff go through OSHA 30 hour training. And I think that's great. Um, you know, keeping that training documentation on record is, is you know, awesome. Um, some groups opt just for the 10 hour training, depending on what their job responsibilities are. Then you'll get into, you know, task specific training, you know, if they have, if they're forklift operators, they should definitely have forklift operator training, you know, typically, you know, someone will come on site for an hour or two, um, you know, all your forklift operators can can be assessed during that that training operation and then you can get the certificate and, you know, depending on how often you want to do that, you can have kind of a, an assembly line of, of training offered that way. There are a lot of providers out there, um, you know, it doesn't have to be, one particular person, just make sure that they're, you know, an OSHA certified trainer and, and, and go from there.
0: What I've noticed, Corey, is that with the forklifts, uh, a lot of times they'll send out somebody from the actual manufacturing company of that forklift. Oh, yeah. I mean, who knows it better, you know?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And if those those opportunities are available to you, or if, you know, part of the procurement stage of, of purchasing that forklift comes with, uh, you know, on-site demo or, you know, review of the, the procedures and, and training requirements associated with that forklift, absolutely take advantage of that. That's, you know, to your point, there's no one who's gonna know that piece of equipment better than, than the, the manufacturing rep, so, um, yeah. And I
0: would say once trained, I mean, how many folks, you know, say you have a staff of 20 at the brewery, I mean, maybe the majority of them might be, you know, say beer tenders, but, you know, when you have the folks in the manufacturing area, Is there kind of a limit like, hey, three people max should know this forklift because, right, we want the repetition, we want them to to be experts with it, and we don't want everybody just to do it, you know, once in a while.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely think it makes sense to have certain forklift operators who are just going to be responsible for that piece of equipment. And, you know, I think it's also important uh, if you have multiple forklifts and they're different types to have, you know, specific training to you know for each type uh because you know the the daily checks might be different um you know there might be differences in how they're maintained all that kind of stuff um but yeah in terms of redundancy you know at least two you never want to have just one person be the forklift operator because then you know well, they have sick incident or they need- or they're sick or they're on vacation and you have to move it just because it's in the way of, of right. something well now you have issues um So at least two, you know, but then it really depends on, you know, your staff, you know, how, how likely is it that you're going to need that additional coverage? If you have shifts, if you have, you know, people coming in on, you know, odd days or or whatnot, you know, you can tailor the coverage there, but at least two, ideally three or four, um, but it really depends on, you know, your brewing environment and, you know, obviously how many uh, staff you have on hand, but yeah, certainly you know, you wouldn't have to have everybody, uh, you know, certified in, in the operation, unless obviously everyone is is required or, you know, potentially could be using that piece of equipment. Yeah, or you have, you know, six forklifts. Sure. <laughs> All right.
0: Nice. So um, what's next on your list there? Because I'm looking, you know, you mentioned the, has, the hazardous communications, um, you know, we're dealing with chemicals, we're dealing with obviously the loud noises, which we covered in the kind of the PPP or PPE section. And what what goes into a Hascom plan?
1: Yeah. So, really, when you're putting together a hazard communication plan, and and full disclosure, there are free templates out there um, yeah. available right. for a lot of these manuals. So don't feel overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, you know, there are free resources out there. Um, you know, sometimes people like to you know use safety consultants for that peace of mind, and you know they don't want to have to learn it and then you know reinvent the wheel. Um, but certainly, you know, if you're on a budget, if you're a newer brewery just looking to you know, get these programs in place um, and you want to do something, you know, a little bit, a little bit easier, um, you know, seek out a a template. OSHA has them, Um, you know, the Master Brewers Association of America has them. Um, You know, it's, it's a good place to start and, you know, it will need to be customized to your brewing operation in your facility, but you know, it, it's nice to work from a framework that, you know, is complete and, and has, you know, the things that will um, be part of your consideration. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to learn everything and, and start from scratch and, and with a, with a blank word document um, right. uh, to get, to get going. But yeah, to, you know, really any hazard that is covered by OSHA should be included in there. And then any hazard, you um, you know that is specific to your facility space uh, should be captured, and then you know obviously your facility is going to have different requirements for PPE or engineering controls or administrative controls depending on how you're interacting with that hazard. But um, you know I think that the the key is that brewing environments are hazardous workplaces. Right? There's no way around the fact that brewing has hazards, and So from the OSHA perspective, it's really just making sure that your employees are aware that it's a hazardous workplace environment and how to work in that in a safe manner. Um, You know, there's no way to completely eliminate all the hazards, but there's also ways to make it safer and you know, it's not the kind of thing where there should be expectations that working in a brewery come with incidents or injuries. There are ways to avoid those. Um, And that's really what the, the hazard communication plan is all about is we've done a formal assessment of the workplace. We know that there are hazards. These are the hazards that we found in our space. These, you know, these are the programs or the procedures that we we have in place to account for those and, and make sure that employees are working safely. So uh, it's not rocket science. It's not, you know, anything overly technical. I mean, the regulatory language gets a little bit hard to work through uh, and can be intimidating, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we have hazards, we've identified them, we've taken care uh, or put in, you know, policies to, to, to get around them. So, or to work safely, you know, in, in the presence of them. So I think that's really ultimate
0: goal. I would say my like pro tip here would be make it make it reasonable, right? So if you make it too long, no one's going to read it, and it's not going to absolutely good. Like
1: yep, and and make sure that it's specific to the training. So if you have facility specific training, cover the stuff that's in the hazard communication plan. Walk employees through the hazard communication plan. Don't just hand it to them and say read this and right. and 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 move on. You know, if you have a one on one conversation, um, you know, with your you know, ops team or, or the safety manager, or you know, whoever you've kind of designated in that role, um, you know, walk them through the different hazards, you know, as you're doing the facility tour, point things out and say, yeah. you know, this is, this is something that's covered in the hazard communication plan. Um, you can get really technical into the language, or you can say, you know, these are the things that we do uh, to mitigate that hazard. And, and that's perfectly, perfectly reasonable approach. Mm, that's fair.
0: Um, chemicals, right. I mean, they're, what I've noticed, right? Obviously, we want these labeled, right? Every bucket or whatever. Oh yeah. You want these labeled, um, and then you want to know how to handle that chemical. Um, I've seen some, you know, situations where uh, maybe it's temporary. You know, where OSHA or um, an inspector has come in and like that bucket is not labeled. What's in there? There's no top on it. It's full. Like, let's yeah. Let's let's try to. Avoid that stuff. And sometimes, yes, it might be temporary, but but let's wrap that up by the end of the day.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, there are, you know, allowances for temporary containers and that kind of thing. But anything that's stored uh, for long periods of time or anything where you're going to be generating that container and then leaving that immediate work area and, you know, somebody else could stumble upon it. Needs to be labeled. Needs to be labeled in a way that everyone understands. Don't use like a you know person-specific
0: <laughs> coding Another system language, or anything symbol. like that.
1: Like you know, very clear, very easy to interpret, and that's actually covered in the OSHA Hazcom standard. So yep. um, you know, they go over labeling requirements. They go over pictogram usage and what each pictogram you know hmm. is specific for. Um, so it's all aligned with the globally harmonized system. It's all standardized to international, uh, you know, regulatory code. The only one that's kind of a little bit independent from OSHA is the NFPA, which gets a little mm-hmm. bit interesting. So the fire, uh, fire department's operating on a slightly different uh, system. So for, for instance, uh, you know, one that I typically point out is if you're looking in a safety data sheet for the chemical uh, that you're looking at, the hazard rating that's in the safety data sheet is going to be on a four point scale, but category one is the highest hazard. Mm. But if you're Versus looking at it, right. So, but if you're looking at an NFPA diamond, so one of the, you know, yellow, blue, uh, red diamonds, uh, white is the bottom one. Um, those are a four point scale, but four is the highest hazard. Well, why so, gotta do that, Right. You know, so the one thing that you want to make sure of in hazard <laughs> communication is everyone's on the same page about, you know, risk and 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 hazard and yeah so anyway if you're looking at sds category one's bad if you're looking at mspa diamond four bad um obviously there's some uh in time of hazard you're like ah shit uh, pick one yeah so yeah so yeah that's that's always one i point out but yeah so the other two components uh, or the other three i guess components of the uh That has come uh, standard is the the SDS uh, binder so making sure you have a log of all the SDS's Uh, and that comes from the chemical inventory so all of your hazardous chemicals on site need to be in a formal chemical inventory that you can access you know reasonably quickly Uh, and you know, every year it's good to go over that chemical inventory, make sure you've captured all of all of the materials on site. You know, it can be mm-hmm. something like somebody brought Goo gone into the back room and now that's not right. on the inventory, you know, but that, you know, it could be epoxies. It could be it really anything, uh, you know, outside of just, you know, your sulfuric acid or, um, you know, those Cost- types of cleaning products and, and whatnot. So um really depends um you know so it's it's really easy to to capture the 55 gallon drums of things it's a little bit harder to capture capture the the tiny little bottles of epoxy and gugon and what else you know whatever else you have on there Hmm.
0: i just thought about you know somehow one gets stuck in the fridge and somebody goes and you know puts it on their hot dog you're like shit (laughs) (laughs) i I think weird shit sometimes um (laughs) What about so this is kind of new to me. I it's not new, but it's uh, I didn't know the term, and hopefully I don't trip you up. But general duty clause. Yes. What's that? So all about? Ge-
1: yeah. So general duty clause is this fancy OSHA workaround. And again, I don't like using fear from OSHA uh, as a as a motivator. But uh, OSHA has the general duty clause, which basically states that they can cite you for anything even if it's not a formal regulation. So okay. usually the general duty clause is going to be related to some other regulatory standard or best practice that they can then cite as an OSHA violation. Um, but it theoretically could be used to cite anything. Um, but so it's like the- anything
0: that could cause what death or physical harm, even like even right. be in like ergonomics.
1: Right. So it it really depends on how they're using it. But just got a new office chair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so even if it's not technically written in their regulatory standards, um, you know, a common one would be ANSI standards or ACGIH standards. Um, These are kind of supplemental things. They might also, because most of the OSHA exposure limits and those types of things for chemicals are from the 70s. They haven't been updated very much, but other groups have come up with their own standards and exposure limits. OSHA can certainly, you know, cite those as part of the general duty clause. A lot of the standards related to eye wash and safety shower uh, regulations are ANSI standards. Um, you know, there are certain eye protection standards, hearing protection standards that would also be captured, uh, even if, again, it's not a formal OSHA regulation.
0: Hmm. And I guess you know, when we're talking ergonomics, we're talking. Proper lifting
1: techniques, also, you know, we're throwing heavy oh, yeah. kegs around, right? Or um, even just like storage um, design. So, you know, if you're putting people into really awkward corners, lifting heavy things, and they're, you know, contorting into some strange positions yeah. because, you know, or or lifting things above above shoulder height, and you know, all that is considered in terms of ergonomic practice. And you know, there's sure. definitely a lot of ergonomic related uh, issues. Or potential issues
0: in the brewing environment. Just yeah, you
1: know my
0: the- my most common thing that I see is uh, you know workers' compensation claims, and they all for the most part come from lifting kegs. And it's you know I've had um, you banged your knee, you know you know maybe squeezed your knee or or dropped a keg on your foot. You know you oh, banged yeah. your knee on another um, on a keg. You I've got people getting stitches from pinching their fingers between kegs. I mean you know back hurts so you know, find a better way to do it, maybe uh, do these things when multiple people are on the shift so that you yep. guys can kind of team lift, you know?
1: Um, yeah, I think are, another thing too sort is so like avoidable, but yeah, but beer's heavy, man. Oh, yeah. Beer's very heavy. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I think a lot of groups will will implement things like hand trucks and and, you know, pallet jacks and all those, you know, thinking that they're the perfect solution for a lot of uh, these, you know, one person operations. But, you know, if you weigh down a pallet jack or a hand truck that becomes unruly pretty quickly. And now you know, oh, I've yeah. seen a lot of issues with, you know, people running over their feet or getting, getting an ankle jacked up because, you know, the, the hand truck or, you know, whatever got away from them and, you know, they're still heavy, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, a little it's bit a easier of momentum, to move around, too. but if you load that thing up, you know, to, to heavy weights, I mean, you know, it, it becomes uh, an object that's tough to, tough to maneuver. And if you get in it's the, hard,
0: it's, it's hard to stop
1: and hard to yeah. start. Yep. So if you get in the way of it, it's going to, it's going to do some damage. Get out the way. Yeah. All right.
0: um, what else? What else are we seeing out there?
1: Yeah. So the, you know, the emergency action plan uh, for me covers a lot of the, you know, obvious evacuation response, um, you know, big, Potential incidents related to electrical hazards or, or fire hazards, um, but you know you should also just consider some of the normal medical response type things that your facility might come with. Um, you know, there are different demographics in the, in the space. If you have older employees, you know, heart attack is certainly a risk and with some of these higher uh, strenuous uh, type uh, work environments. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a good idea, um, to, to have an AED on site. Um, if you're, you're not in, you know, easy access to, to medical attention, uh, that's, that's something that can certainly be included in the emergency action plan. Uh, first aid kits certainly need to be, uh, um, supplied. Uh, I think, you know, there's, again, this goes to kind of a general duty clause type thing, but, uh, ANSI standards govern kind of first aid kit. Supplies, and you know, it's not generally enough. uh, Even if you have 25 employees, to order the the Class A first aid kit off of Amazon because it's the cheapest one. Um, You know, it is a hazardous work environment, so you're typically looking at Class B. uh, You know, ANSI standards there. ANSI just updated their standards for first aid kits in 2015. Uh, so, you know, it comes with a supply kit and or a supply list of uh, all the things that are required to kind of meet those first aid requirements. And uh, you can certainly get those um, through a number of different suppliers. But making sure that you have, you know, enough supplies, you know, for your employee number and your hazard type um, is, is mm-hmm. kind of one of those low hanging fruits that a regulator, you know, could could be interested in when they when they come back.
0: And often that would go kind of by employee count versus
1: like square footage. Does yeah, square footage so first aid kits, obviously they need to be accessible. So square footage, if you have a massive facility, you're going to need to take that into multiple. consideration to, you know, potentially have Make multiple. Accessible. Um, but yeah, it's it's. The the kit number or the, the supply count, um, for, you know, what you need for each item in the kit uh, is based on employee number. And then the composition of that list uh, comes down to your hazard classification. So class B is generally uh, where most of the, the hazardous uh, manufacturing type environments are going to sit. All
0: right, Corey, what about you know, cylinders, this is a common situation. You know, when my insurance adjuster inspectors come in and they, they give recommendations, right? We sure. want to clear out all this crap in front of your exit. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> you want to chain up all of these, uh, you know, tanks, these cylinders. And that, that's a big, a big, uh, a big issue that just, uh, it's common oh, and yeah. it's, I believe it's a pretty easy fix. Yep. I think, you know, I don't, I'm a brewery, but
1: yeah. So you you alluded to general housekeeping when you first started that, right. that sentence. I uh, feel like that general so- housekeeping is a really good thing to start with. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you are stacking boxes in front of your emergency exit, that's going to be an issue. Uh, you know, it's a that's one of the easiest low hanging fruits because it's, so common. <laughs> it's you know and and you know a lot of groups are you know hurting for storage space and sure. you know no one uses the emergency exit so. Uh, you know for normal operation so you don't really you know think about it but yeah make sure those are clear make sure aisle space is is 36 inches and you can easily pass through and okay. and all of that so you know walk around with a yardstick you know you can get a yardstick for a dollar <laughs> yeah uh, and, and just walk around and see you know if you bump in anything um a lot of those are based on, you know, those aisle clearance items are based on fire response. So, right. you know, if a firefighter's coming in with a tank on their back, they're going to need to get in and turn around and come back out. So, you know, it's it's not just your own folks; it's it's yeah. other people that you could potentially put in in, in danger there. So, uh, important for all levels. Um, but yeah, you you alluded to general housekeeping. It's one of my favorite things because it's one of those things <laughs> where smiling. you can immediately walk in and uh, you know you know, where, where things are at from, a, from a housekeeping standpoint, right off, you know, if, yeah. if you got organized workspaces, you got nice, clear aisles, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a nice work environment.
0: I even say my daughter says, you know, I got a desk now. I'm like, she's putting stuff on her desk. I'm like, listen, you want to have a nice clean, you know, work environment? Because yeah. personally for me, I feel like when you come to your desk in the morning, however that looks is also how your mind feels. Sure. Right. My desk is clean. I get to start from scratch is a beautiful thing. If I come in and I gotta clean off and do a bunch of shit before I can actually get to work, like that's a problem. But oh, yeah. you know, to the point, like a lot of these guys, you know, it might be, you know, tables or some things that they brought in. They had a busy weekend, cleaned up Sunday night, put some stuff and just kinda put it there, closed up, grabbed a beer, went home. Like, oh, yeah. you know. Sometimes that stuff gets left there. Even just the same way around your house, right? I put this here and they want to break down that box and now it's going to sit there. And then there someone three else sees it by. and they're
1: like, okay, I'm going to, you know, yeah. and then it kind of just snowballs out of control a little bit. It and snowballs. Before you know it, now you got so you know you have you have blocked fire extinguishers you have blocked yeah. you know eye wash and safety shower uh, units and all, and all that so uh, but yeah no you 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 brought up general housekeeping and that's, <laughs> that's my, funny that like we skipped my, over it. Uh, that's like you know items the most basic yeah. we completely sure. skipped over it sure but. Um, but yeah to to cylinders so you know cylinders first and foremost they're heavy uh, yeah. they're under pressure uh you know i yeah. don't know if anyone's seen the MythBuster episode but if they get away from you they get away from you and uh you know it's not always going to happen that way you know oftentimes they'll just spin around and you know right. it's a hazard of itself but yeah i mean even if, if they just tip over you know yeah. they can they can do damage to a foot or you know a lower leg or um puncture yeah so, you know, they need to be secured. They need to be chained or strapped or, you know, secured in some way. Some some groups have really nice fancy corrals. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, something that sophisticated. If it's yeah. a wall mount and you just put a strap or a chain around it, that, that generally is perfectly fine as long as it's secured against tipping. Um, the other thing, too, is the valves and the regulators on cylinders are not good <laughs> – don't put things around those um you know if you if you bust the line or if you you mess up the valve or the regulator you're going to get a release uh and sometimes it's an uncontrolled release and depending on what you're storing in that cylinder you know that can cause safety issues so yeah yeah, i I do tend to see uh you know things hanging from from those those cylinders uh but it's it you know install a hook install something else yeah Uh, don't use those as 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 hangers
0: I, uh, you made me think about the most common like insurance claim for a hotel is that brides and bridesmaids will hang their dresses on the sprinkler head mm-hmm. and set off the whole freaking place. Yep. <laughs> That's a very
1: common thing. It's like, do not use those, those are not hangers. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's similar in that, you know, you, d- you don't want to damage the valve or the regulator in some way um, for that. But yeah, so, I mean, cylinders definitely, you know, a big deal, especially if you're, you know, carbon dioxide gas, if you have concentrated CO2, you know, you got that all over the brewery. So um, that's a consideration, um, you know, if you have ammonia systems. Certainly, something to to pay very, very close attention to Mm -hmm. Um, if you're using ammonia for any refrigeration units or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, You know, the nice thing about ammonia um, is that it tends to self evacuate if you have a leak because everyone smells it pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it can, you know, dull your senses over time and, and, you know, small leaks can can build up and and cause big issues. So uh, Mm -hmm. that's another one to kind of. To keep on the radar, but um, one final kind of piece of documentation that I want to highlight is, um, you know, fire prevention plan or, or permitting from your local fire department. Every municipality is going to be different, but it's always good just to establish a good relationship with the fire department or the other emergency responders who you know might be coming by the space. You know, sure. you don't want their first time to be in the facility to be in an emergency situation if they're unfamiliar with it. So, you know, your high has environment, you know, invite them over and, and you know. I've yet to meet a meet a you know fireman who doesn't someone do from the fire department who doesn't <laughs> want to just tour a brewery. So um, you know, communicate with them. Say you know this is what we have on site. You know, some of them have hazmat permits that you know capture not just flammable uh, storage but also corrosive storage and um, compressed gases and and whatnot. You know, they, they just want to know what's there. Um, so if that they're responding after hours or when no one's there or to an emergency situation, they're prepared. F- you know, to go into that environment. So you know, opening up that line of communication, some, you know, some fire departments require you to submit the emergency action plan or the hazard communication plan to like a local emergency planning group. Uh, doesn't always happen. Uh, you know, again, it depends on your municipality. But um, again, I, I think it's just nice to have that open line of communication and invite them out. Um, you know, they're not there for a regulatory capacity. In, in most cases, they just want to, you know, make sure that if, if there are issues in the facility, they can, they can take care of you.
0: So I had a situation yesterday. I was on the phone with one of the breweries I work with and was asking him about just uh, you know, hardwired smoke detectors. He said, Hey, they're not hardwired, but we do have a, we have cameras that they detect any motion and we would get alerted immediately. And it was required by the fire marshal that, there is a box outside that only they can access with a key that they can access the building anytime. I really actually never heard that before, so that was interesting.
1: Yeah, so sometimes they'll have sometimes they'll have Knox boxes or or those types of things where they have keys, master keys to the facility yeah. um, that they can access right on right on site. Um, if you have larger like fire control panels, they'll also have access to those as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, in some in some you know hazard areas, they want to actually have the master keys. Um, and it's kind of like a, a realtor box where right. you know, this, the keys are stored in there and they know the code or then they have a, a key to access that. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly something just to communicate with the, with the fire department on uh, so that they're comfortable uh, with what you have and, and how to get around.
0: Yeah. Is that like a county thing? Because this was New Jersey. Um, and I really maybe I just don't have that conversation that often. But is that pretty common?
1: Well, yeah. So it, it okay. depends on the situation, um, you know, depending on the hazard classification of the facility. Um, sometimes they'll actually have, you know, your fire alarm system directly communicate with the dispatcher so that you kind of take away one sure. of the, the lines of communication yep. um, and the, the need to call 911. Right. Um, it really depends. But yeah, uh, always, always nice just to get that reassurance if that is something that they want to see. Yeah.
0: Okay. Hey, last time we spoke, um we talked a little bit about gloves and we talked briefly about like wedding rings. Um, yes. Let's talk about that. Sure. sure. What, so, were, what were we talking about? Tell the people. Yes.
1: So wedding rings in, uh, you know, I think a lot of the machinists who might be listening are going to, you know, roll their eyes maybe, but um, <laughs> you know, I think there are certainly considerations about wedding rings, especially if they're, you know, non shattering materials or, you know, that kind of thing, because if you get caught in something, you know, degloving, I don't know if you've, you've heard the term degloving, but you know, your, your ring actually Jimmy Fallon, I think had a degloving injury uh, a while back uh, due to a a wedding ring. I I could be, could be wrong, but I remember him wearing a a big pack of gauze for one of his shows because uh, some some sort of issue. (laughs) Um, with a wedding ring, but yeah. So basically if it gets stuck in something and, and rock climbers and, and those types of outdoor you know, activities mm. are also aware of this. Um, if you get it caught on something, it's not going to move, but your finger's going to slide through it. And, you know, it's a very painful uh, injury. Sure. I luckily I've never uh, experienced it, but talking with people who have uh, it's not the most pleasant uh, either pain wise or visually, So, Mm. you know, yeah. So you just, a lot of groups that have uh, spinning or caught in type machinery um, are going to basically say, don't wear a wedding ring or wear some sort of like silicone uh, alternative um, or something that's gonna shatter rather than stay whole and slide off. Because, Mm. you know, you're you're looking at, you know, degloving or amputation uh, type injuries um if those were to get caught in something that's yeah not not the most pleasant thing but
0: <clears throat> i thought my tungsten wedding ring was cool because you can't break it
1: <laughs> yeah right so yeah so so certain types of metals will you know be prone to shattering uh and those are a little bit better um but still you don't necessarily want to rely on that um yeah. so yeah either take it off or or you know use some sort of silicone alternative uh, in those types of environments get tattooed on yeah you'll see some of the old school guys they'll uh you know they'll tape it up and then they'll mm-hmm. think that that's good the tape doesn't really do anything if it's caught in something so interesting
0: yeah, yeah it's funny electricians you will also tape it
1: up but that's for electrical hazards not for for deep loving.
0: okay we got to send this episode to all the wives at home you know just to right. make sure
1: yeah
0: <laughs> i think a yeah. bad boy is the movie when martin lawrence is you know <laughs> pretending he's will smith and he's like honey i was undercover
1: <laughs> she's like undercover my ass
0: <laughs> so you I mean, uh, what yeah. else what else are you thinking
1: no i mean you know i think we've covered a lot of a lot of paperwork a lot of documentation a lot of considerations um you know i think i'd just kind of go back to the, the keep it all A-log in one place and, and keep it all in one place keep it accessible uh if a regulator shows up you know, walk into the room grab the, grab the binder you know the, bring it out go over it um you know the, the chemical inventory should be right there. The SDS uh, log should be right there. Um, yeah, and then go from there.
0: And Make it a game, right? Kind of make it fun with the employees. Maybe we, you know we do these things, or you answer a question, or come up with something. We have a pizza party, or we, you know, just oh, yeah. do something. You can reward your employees. You know,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, there are a lot of a lot of good like proactive uh, you know solutions for that. You know, if you come up with a good catch, or you know, you report a hazard observation that that was overlooked, you know, you know, give a kudos for that. I mean, that's, that's all important stuff. Um, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, you know, we got boxes stacked in front of our emergency exit, you know, thank them for that. You know? Um, one other thing I want to say about a regulator too is, you know, they're, they're unlikely just to show up, you know, if they're doing an industry wide review or they've been referred or, or, you know, something like that, they might, um, it's usually an employee complaint that that triggers them. Um, but, or, or obviously a severe injury, um, or, or fatality, but, Mm -hmm. um, One of the things that I think is overlooked is that you do have rights (laughs) as an employer. uh, If a regulator shows up, I don't recommend outright refusing access because they're going to come back with a warrant and they're going to ask why you didn't give them just ready ready access. Um, But don't just allow them to tour the facility alone. So Mm. facility access restriction and security is something that they're tending to look for. So Don't just say, hey, yeah, you have a badge, Uh, you know, go for it. Um, You know, bring them to a conference room, review the paperwork, ask them what type of, you know, what's in the scope. You know, generally they're there with a specific scope in mind. If you give them free reign, they're going to look for whatever. Um, And then, you know, obviously confirm that they're a regulator. Ask for ID. They have to produce Mm -hmm. ID as a regulator. Um, You know, they can't just be there (laughs) willy-nilly and say, you know, I'm – so-and-so mm-hmm. from- I just ordered my OSHA vest on Amazon. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it, it sounds ridiculous, but there have been cases where people have impersonated regulators to gain access to facilities. It doesn't, I don't, I don't see breweries as being the highest tar- you know, priority target for those types of things. But, um, you know, confirm ID, um, you know, show them the documentation that they want and then actually, you know, give them a facility tour, lead them yeah. around, um, answer questions. Um, you know, if there's not something that you know off the top of your head, it's perfectly fine to say, you know, I don't know, but, um, you know, I can get you, you know, I can talk to so-and-so who's in charge of this um, area and we can get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, all of that is, is important. It can be very intimidating in the moment, but, um, you know, they, again, they want to be in and out and, and you know, I, I've yet to meet a regulator who likes a lot of extra paperwork. So, you <laughs> know, treat, treat them nicely and, and, and yeah. show them around and, and be as open as, and honest as you can be. Awesome.
0: Cool, man. All right. Well, I think that wraps up episode three here. Uh, episode four, we have on the docket that'll come down the pike a little bit. Um, tips for facility selection, um, some other things like that. And uh, maybe not. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah.
1: Um, sounds
0: great. Talking return to work programs. We got all sorts of stuff, guys. There's, oh, yeah. there's plenty of hazards out there. So cool. Well, as always, I appreciate your time, Corey. Um, is that it? We good? Any yeah. other anything Excellent. you want to
1: add? No, that, that, that sounds like an episode. Awesome, buddy. All right,
0: cool. Well, hey, you be good. Stay safe. Appreciate your time as always. Cheers,
1: buddy. Awesome. Likewise.
0: All right, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you find this valuable. Please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. And while you're at Apple, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get noticed among the craft beverage community there. Thank you. Cheers and beer mighty things.